Hello and welcome to Beckett Talks, the new podcast from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we'll be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. And it's time for Beckett Talks Research. I'm Dee Grismond, and each week I will be showcasing the interesting and innovative research community here at Leeds Beckett as part of this podcast series. In this week's episode, we are joined in the studio by Jane Raysborough, Professor of Media at Leeds Beckett University. Her research looks at cultural representations of social class, gender and anti-aging and asks how society is run, organised and managed and challenges the stereotypes presented by the media. Welcome to the studio, Jane Raysborough. And this is the question that I always start with. So, Jane, tell me how you got into your particular field of study. Originally, I'm a sociologist, so that means I'm interested in power and inequalities. I'm interested in the way that society is organised and the consequences it has on all of our lives. But as my career has developed, I've become more interested in culture. I've looked to culture to think, how does culture reproduce some of the inequalities that we have in our society? So when we think of inequalities, we might think about pay, we might think of institutionalised racism. I want to look at culture and think, how are those things reflected and circulated there? So we might want to look at representations and stereotypes. And I do that in my work. But I also look at other things. I want to know how some things are made invisible and how other things are made hypervisible. So at the moment, I'm looking at ageism and I'm looking at what's called weightism. When we look at the small screen and the big screen and also the, the, the theatre, we can see that actually we're not really seeing many old people. And in fact, we're not really seeing many old women. So there's an invisibility of age going on. So that's, I'm exploring that. But at the same time, we've got this hypervisibility. We've got this hypervisibility of fat bodies, particularly when we start to talk about obesity. But it's not just health programmes where we see fat bodies. We see fat bodies in a whole range of reality TV documentaries. So I'm interested in representations, stereotypes, invisibility, but also hypervisibility as well. And the consequences this has on the way we see and understand issues around age, and weight, health, but also our own bodies. And tell me a little bit about your own personal passion for this subject. How could one not be passionate when you're talking about your relationship to the world, when you're talking about the relationship to your own body, when you're talking about your relationship with other people? I think part of my job is opening up people's imaginations, opening up different ways of, um, of seeing the world, of being in the world, of telling stories about the world, because I truly believe that we've got potential. We've got potential to break out of inequalities. We've got potential to, to break out of some of the harms that we do to ourselves when we are ageist or when we're fattest or when we worry about our bodies. So how do you think, as a society, we can break out of these stereotypes? I think one way we can break out of stereotypes is start to watch TV and read our books and watch our films more critically. So there's some emphasis on us as viewers and as consumers of culture. So we need to look and think, what aren't we seeing? But also, what are we seeing that seems to be very repetitive? We've seen the same sort of images of older people or the same sort of images of ethnic minorities, the same sort of images of the white working class. Are we seeing the same sort of images of fat bodies, for example? And when we realise that we're seeing a very narrow range of bodies and a very narrow range of 
of issues, I think we need to start writing in. I think we need to start to get angry. I think we need to start protesting to the producers of culture, saying that we want to see more diversity. But I think with the other thing that we can do as well is stop repeating these things, and if we can, not to internalise them. So if we're, re if we're surrounded by lots of images telling us that the only way to be is to be wrinkle-free, and the only way to be a proper responsible citizen is to be a thin citizen, then I think we need to start asking questions about that. I think we've got to make space for ourselves. And we can make space by making sure that we don't replicate some of the damaging, some of the damaging stereotypes that we see around us. And also we can insist on better representations from people who make culture. And how does social media fit into all of this? Because we create the content on social media. So we're creating the stereotypes. Are we feeding our own fire through social media? Well, social media is the big topic right now. Uh, particularly how we take media and cultural outputs and we reproduce them and make them our own. And of course, we're circulating them and distributing them at a vast speed. And this is a time for me where we can start to see how those internalised harms that are produced by stereotypes, we can start to see them in action. The way that people talk about themselves, but also the ways they speak about other people, the way they troll other people. Now, in recent research, we started to understand the relationship between social media and hate. And we've often understood hate in terms of the, the very damaging racial discourses which are going on, and it's really right that we focus on that. We need to widen that too and start looking at the kind of body hate and self-hate that's also being perpetuated on, on social media. And the answer there is greater media literacy, greater um, understanding that there are different types of bodies, a greater appreciation of diversity, and also breaking away from the fear of this very narrow, thin, wrinkle-free, idealised self that's being reproduced. We need real bodies out there and real lives in those bodies. I love that bit about allowing ourselves to be in different ways and create our own imagination because we can be our own worst enemy, can't we? The most important question that my research tries to answer is about the role of imagination to our ability to be human. So what I believe is that power relations in our society, vested interests, say the anti-aging industry or the diet industry, are closing down that imagination. They're stifling our ability to be in different ways. What my research is trying to do is pry some space away from, those, from that imagination to create our own imagination of diversity, to open things up so that we can flourish and we can be. Not only can we have a better relationship with our body and our future when we talk about ageing, but also we can have a better relationship with other people. We can have a moment where we're not judging other people just based on how they look. So we can have more fruitful, rich, enriched relationships with other people once we can open up this imagination. Now, it's hard to do because culture is bombarding us with one imagination. And this is why academic work is so important. We need theories, we need philosophies, we need concepts. We need these theories so that we can see stuff that goes unseen because it's so commonplace. We need concepts so that we can think stuff that goes unthought because it's commonplace. We need philosophy to see stuff that is just unseen, to make visible the invisible. And that's what my job does as a cultural sociologist. 
That's great, Jane. I'm finding this all incredibly interesting. I love it. Um, but how would you describe the value of your research to a layperson? I think my work has value to a layperson, to somebody outside of a university setting, because all of us have bodies. All of us are aging. We only get one life. We only get one body. Do you really want the diet industry and the anti-aging industry to dictate how you should live that life and also how you should feel about your body? And I think most people, the answer is no. So what my research can do is open up a different kind of vision about age. I can show how the anti-aging industry works and sometimes through humour just show how ludicrous it is. And also I can start to rip apart some of these ideas that weight links to health just through the way that you look. So opening up space allows people to talk about their own experiences. And it's up to me as an academic to make sense of those experiences and turn them into a more calibrated attack upon these industries. But it all starts with people's lived experiences. So I think my work does have value outside of university. What do you think are the big issues in your field of research at this moment in time? Oh, the big issues have got to be social media, particularly because of the speed and the reproduction of hateful speech or damaging speech because of the impact on mental health of consumers of social media, particularly young people who, who are on social media more perhaps than, than older people. So I think social media is a big one. The other one is the environment. And this is something, shamefully, I've come very, very slow to. When I focused on society and culture, I've forgotten the fact that actually we depend on the planet. And one of the things that really worries me is when we start engaging in these fad diets, and when we start engaging in the chemical peels of anti-aging, I'm worrying about the toxicity that we're creating. I'm worried about the, the consequences it has on the planet when all of us start drinking almond milk. So I think the next big challenge for my field and the big issue for my field is basically the environment and social media. That's great, Jane. Thank you. Two really big issues in your field of research there. Um, I'm very interested in the social media aspect because... I often look on social media and see young people in their teens or their 20s talking about using anti-aging products and talking about anti-aging. And it does really make me worry about um, that age group and, and the culture around anti-aging. The fact that young people are starting to think about ageing in their teens or even in their 20s says something about our cultural fear of age. And that's really where my research is directed. It's not that I'm abandoning old people themselves, but I want to see the implications and the consequences of ageism. So once we start to be uh, fearful of age, not only do we have different relationships to people who are already older, and the older people start to feel a little bit worthless, but younger people start to do whatever they can to withhold age, to start, they, they really don't want to look their age. Looking your age is, is, is a disaster. So they're engaging more and more in what I say are harmful practices, cosmetic surgery, a whole link of non-invasive uh, procedures, but also they're policing each other on their appearances of age as well. This is just another anxiety that actually, frankly, we just do not need. Whether it's media, history, English literature or creative writing, studying at the School of Cultural Studies and Humanities at Leeds Beckett University challenges its students to think critically and creatively about the world around us. 
Located in a historic city thriving with graduate employment opportunities, the School of Cultural Studies and Humanities is a community of widely published and prize-winning historians and literary critics, media scholars and professionals, novelists and poets. So, if any of these subjects interest you, whether you're starting out on your educational journey or wishing to progress professionally, go to leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash CSH for more information. And now we're back in the studio with Professor Jane Raysborough to ask her a few more questions about her research. Why do you think, as a society, we're so against ageing? Well, I think we're so anti-age for a couple of reasons. The first one is that youth is quite appealing. It's also because of monetary, the monetary value given to youth. In a neoliberal society, in a capitalist society, we like the idea of people being youthful and striving independent and almost um, able to go into the world without any kind of consequences, any kind of family or, or any kind of hang-ups. So we like this idea of freedom, we associate youthfulness with freedom. So youth has been sold to us mainly through American culture, mainly through teen culture, and it's become very idealised. So to be young is to be good. When we imagine the perfect person, we often imagine them to be young. The kind of people we uh, revere in society tend to be young. We like that idea of young skin, we like the idea of bright eyes, you know, so youthfulness is quite attractive. But it's very attractive to capitalism as well. If we can make young people fearful about age, they're going to spend a lot of money trying to, trying to stop the signs of age. If we can make middle-aged people worried about age, they're going to start spending even more money um, trying to reduce that. And if we can make uh, older people feel, feel worthless, then the rest of us don't really need to take any responsibility for people who seem to be unproductive. So there is sort of a dark side to, to ageism as well. But fundamentally, I think it's industry-led. I think people make a lot of money out of our anxieties, both with diets and with anti-ageing. So many interesting things you're talking about, Jane. It's brilliant. But if there was one thing you could change about your field of research, what would it be? I think the one thing I'd like to change with my field is that our work was more accessible to, to the public. So I'd like to see myself as a public academic, a public intellectual, so that my work is not just on people, but it's for people. Um, I think a big move in my field is activism. And I think we can see that already with groups of older people fighting against ageism and people who've been uh, declared written off because of their weight, fighting against those stereotypes. And what my work can do is, is, is motor those and support those, that movement. So I think activism is, is a really important aspect and speaking to people. So tell me a little bit about the impact your research has had. Well, impact is always very, very difficult to judge, especially when you're talking about media, because some of the ideas that you, you might sort of introduce to somebody or um, when you try and brighten up somebody's imagination and offer up new possibilities, it can take a while for, for those ideas to trickle through. But one of the things my work has done is it's used, uh, it's, it's created its own media sources. I worked with a director and a filmmaker to create a film that looked at women over the age of 60 as they were dealing with their, their retirement. And they were, they were talking about what was good about getting old. So, so it was a lovely six minute film. And that's been used by other researchers to change people's attitudes to the future. And there was a great bit of research done by Swansea University, which did just that. 
and they developed an intervention to help older people feel more confident about exercising in the future and, and also taking more risks past the age of 60. So it was a real positive thing. People watched the video and when they saw other women doing crazy things like swimming and flying helicopters, then they felt empowered and emboldened and it made a real difference to their lives. Lots of brands and different aspects of the media are really trying to show um, more diversity in their advertising, more different types of bodies. But how do we know whether this is just lip service or whether there's actually some meaning behind it? Yeah, I think as a media scholar, we've got to be really careful when we look at what we define as negative representations and then also what we may assume then to be positive representations. The reality is actually representations of stereotypes are much more subtle and nuanced than we might first look. So it's very hard to say something is good or something is bad. And that's mainly because our experiences with our bodies are so diverse. Uh, many of us have many diverse histories about our bodies. There are different cultural um, impacts upon our bodies. That it's very difficult to say that that one representation will do the job of, of everything. What we do find in the media is this tokenism. So body positivity may be mentioned right next to a news report which will be about the obesity crisis. So one will cancel the other out in favour of the obesity epidemic. So there is something there where the media is trying to look like it's even-handed, but when we look more closely, we can see the representation still on, on that equal or, or that well-rounded. And that's where my job is to point those things out. And how do you feel about people's self-worth being tied in to their body image and how they look and how other people perceive them? There's been a, a real shift for us to think that our worth and our value actually rests in the way that we look, in the way that we, in our disposition, the way we hold ourselves, the way we can carry our clothes, but also in, in our wrinkles and in our thinness or in our fatness. It's a real worry that because what happens is we start to look in and we're always looking in our mirror and it destabilizes our confidence. So whenever we stand up to talk or whenever we meet somebody, our first, our first idea is, do I look okay? Am I good enough for this? And quite frankly, there's enough out there to worry about. So I think it's an important aspect of the work I do with students and also with the people who come to other public lectures is by saying that we need to put our value in other things. So if we look at reality TV, you'll see that there's massive celebrations of people who lose weight. You don't get that kind of celebration when somebody graduates or somebody learns to read for the first time or, or when somebody develops a new skill when somebody saves an animal. You, you don't get that. So our society, I think, has become very shallow and that has massive consequences for dignity, respect, diversity and just care. It could be depressing, but my work is optimistic. It really is. So as sociology is really miserable, right? So it's all about inequalities. But my work is based on optimism, that once we can expose those, those inequalities, then we can oppose them so that we can, we can start think, we can start developing tools and languages and this imagination that I keep going back to, to work for a better world. We can work on ourselves, we can work on our families, but then we can start developing this cultural shift by mainly being intolerant of this negative imagery that we get. We can start fighting back and there are people who are doing that already. So things will, will change, but optimism is absolutely the key. We've got to be optimistic about the future. I mean, do you think there should be a, a a bigger cultural shift, you know, um, when you're talking about anti-aging, 
we learn so much throughout our whole lives, should we be promoting the fact that we're wiser as we get older? There is this idea that we get wiser as we get older. I'm not too sure that we do get wiser. I think we might just become more experienced. Um, but of course, that experience is discredited as soon as you get past, well, possibly you get past 40, for example, um, because of this valuation of, of, of young people. Um, so I'm, I'm not too sure whether we do get wiser. I think we just might get more experienced. Maybe we get a bit more cynical, a bit more confident to be able to say, hang on, no, this is my reality, this is my truth, this is the way I'm going to live my life. But then at the same time, you could be just so beaten down by these constant messaging that you could crumble and, and, and fall, which is why when we educate, um, universities should be for all ages and, and access to these ideas should be for all ages, you know, regardless. Tell me a little bit about what your students can expect from your teaching at Leeds Beckett University. What I really like about my research is that it feeds right into my teaching. So this makes my teaching quite lively and quite dynamic. I can take in problems that I'm trying to work out into the classroom and we can work them out together. We can pull them apart and we can compete and the students will ask different kind of questions. So as much as I see my job as widening cultural imagination, they're also widening my cultural imagination and they're bringing their lived experience into the classroom as well. So we, we've really got something live to work on. And that's the great thing about doing research in a university setting, particularly at Leeds Beckett, that values that type of relationship. Could you summarise your research in one sentence for me? I'll give you two if you need it. So if you've been given one life and one body, why would you let the diet industry and the anti-aging industry tell you how to live your life and how would you ever allow it to dictate how you feel about your body. So my research is helping us say no to those industries and reclaiming our life and reclaiming our bodies. I would like to say a big thank you to Professor Jane Raysborough for joining us in the studio today. That was a really brilliant podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thank you again. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week. Today, Leeds Beckett Research Community is delivering innovative, multidisciplinary research, helping to address some of the most pressing challenges we face today. Across a range of disciplines, our researchers are striving to improve quality of life, equality and the environment around us. We are dedicated to making a difference and our research pages showcase the real-world impact taking place at the university. You can find out more at leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash transform. And if you've enjoyed hearing about the research at Leeds Beckett University, subscribe to our channel and listen out for more of our Beckett Talks research podcasts. 